Transform your business with Microsoft Azure, the one-stop shop for everything cloud and AI. With Azure Migrate and Modernize, move your existing workloads to Azure with ease. With Azure Innovate, build new solutions with focused and deep engagement. Their core offerings provide comprehensive resources, expert assistance, and cost optimization tools. Accelerate your cloud journey and stay ahead of the competition with Microsoft Azure. Visit aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. That's aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for a quick introduction this week. Just wanted to let everyone know we have a fantastic interview this week. We are talking to Gene Kim, author of Wiring the Winning Organization. He has a new book out. But our relationship with him goes back to Phoenix Project days. And gosh, it's been 10, 11 years. Uh, And also the Unicorn Project as well. So really looking forward to digging into his new book. Um, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the interview, but uh, it is a little bit long. So we are going to jump right in right after the break. Are you getting pressure from finance to justify or reduce your cloud bill? CloudZero is the only cloud cost platform loved by engineers and trusted by finance. CloudZero can identify unused, idle, or over-provisioned resources, alert you to spend anomalies, and organize 100% of your spend into a framework that mirrors your business structure, like cost per customer, product feature, or team. It's the most powerful platform ever built to provide accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools, like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Manage cost, optimize development, and maximize profit, all in one platform. Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Visit today to experience immediate and ongoing savings on your cloud bill. And we're back. And folks, you know, we're very, very lucky on this show to get a chance to, uh, to talk to a lot of very interesting people, a lot of very smart people, a lot of people that uh, in one way or another have made uh, an, an impact on this industry, especially the, the technology industry. Uh, but every once in a while, um, and, and it's not often enough, and we need, to, we need to sort of rectify that, we get a chance to talk to people who have made uh, an impact way beyond uh, the impact that, that Aaron and I have and you know, have just become sort of legendary figures in our industry. And today we get a chance to do that. And so I am super excited to have good friend, uh, longtime you know, friend of the show, but also <laughs> yeah, friend and somebody I've traveled with, uh, Gene Kim, who most of you know from author of The Phoenix Project and The Unicorn Project. But Gene, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you back on. It's been way too long. Oh my gosh, Brian, it has been, uh, yeah, it has been way too long. It was just so great catching up with you beforehand. Uh, we have to do this uh, so much more often. In fact, uh, after we get done with this, uh, let's get uh, something on the calendar so it uh, so we know when the next time that we'll be able to hang out is. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the intro, um, you are world-renowned in, in, in our industry, in the DevOps industry, uh, for a lot of the work that you've done before, uh, Phoenix Project, Unicorn Project, DevOps Handbook, all those links are in the show notes. Uh, but you are now just Coming out with another new book, uh, with uh, along with uh, Stephen Spear, who is not joining us today, but your new co-author. Give us an update on how did this come about? How did you and Stephen come together? Kind of give us the 
the you know kind of the overview of about uh, you know winning uh, wiring the winning organization. Yeah, fantastic. In fact, uh, you know, our conversation beforehand has sort of put me in this kind of like a very contemplative uh, mood. Yeah, so let me, uh, I'll tell you what uh, most people might know, and then uh, I'd love to give you a little bit more um, detail on like why it was so impactful to me. So, you know, many people know I've been studying high-performing technology organizations for uh, 25 years now. And so uh, that was a journey that started back when I was a CTN founder of a company called Tripwire in the information security space. And so, you know, in that 25-year journey, I had sort of stumbled into the middle of the DevOps movement, which is uh, so exciting. I mean, I think so genuinely transformative to the way software organizations work. And uh, uh, that's what uh, the Phoenix Project came out in 2013. Um, The uh, DevOps Handbook came out in 2016. Uh, Accelerate came out in 2018. And the Unicorn Project came out in 2019. And so the quest I've been on for the last three years was – I've been on this quest with uh, Dr. Stephen Spear uh, from the MIT Sloan School of Business. And – uh, you know, he is famous for many things, but among the things he's famous for is uh, he was part of the second generation of researchers studying Toyota. Um, and so in 1999, he wrote this seminal work called Decoding the DNA of the Toyota Production System. I think it's the most widely downloaded Harvard Business Review article of all time. Oh, wow. And it, it was actually based on his doctoral dissertation he did at the Harvard Business School, where he actually worked on the plant floor of a tier one Toyota supplier for six months. And so it's this epic, um, you know, deep immersion into, you know, truly understanding and uh, really decoding kind of, uh, you know, how and why does the Toyota production system work in the way they do. And so I met him in 2014 when I took a workshop from him at MIT. And, uh, you know, it actually was probably responsible for at least a year delay in the DevOps handbook because I learned so much that I had, had never seen or contemplated before. And I felt like it was important uh, to get in that book. Um, and so the question that we set out to ask was what is in common between, you know, DevOps and Agile, uh, in the software world and, you know, Toyota production system lean, uh, in the manufacturing world and safety culture and resilience engineering, uh, you know, that, uh, he's had experience, uh, with at Alcoa and in the U S Navy nuclear reactor operations. Um, and our conclusion was that there were all, you know, incomplete expressions of a far greater but simpler whole. That's what really what we try to get into the book. And as I was mentioning to you beforehand, for me, it was a three-year – it was the most intellectually challenging thing I've ever worked on. But it was the most rewarding because it really forced me to uh, deeply understand the underpinning theory of how you know, these – uh, mechanisms work and you know, why do these you know why does devops work in the way it does and um, you know why is why, why truly why is waterfall not so great and uh yeah it was just this uh you know again the most intellectually challenging thing i've ever worked on and maybe just one more thing brian sure. like many people say right it's like you know uh devops uh, was um uh, so much inspired by uh lean manufacturing and you know i thought i understood that mm-hmm. 14 years ago. <laughs> and yet, yeah, I think uh, over the last three years, it really made me realize just how much I didn't know. And uh, it was just such a, an incredible adventure, you know, uh, trying to deeply understand, you know, why do people say that? And to what extent is that true? Um, and it really led to for the, the ability to sort of clinically write down kind of like, okay, what are the components that make up the terror production system? Uh, you know, what, what part cause, you know, organizations to be great? And uh, to what extent, you know, have we borrowed those concepts and where does it show up, et cetera? So uh, it was uh, super, super uh, rewarding. Excellent. Excellent. Good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, and, you know, folks, we're going to put some stuff, uh, links in the show notes. One of the things that, that Gene and, and his organization do is not only are you, you know, kind of writing the book, putting it out there for people, but you guys do a number of great 
workshops and webinars and things where you know people dive into it. There's community built around that. So you know, as you as you as you're clicking on the link, and and again, I I finished the book a few days ago. I've had it kind of over the holidays. Can't recommend it highly enough. <laughs> um, go go check out some of the other stuff that uh, that they do as well around the book because it's not just a a one time thing. It's it, you know it's like a lot of the things that that you do around uh, you know DevOps Enterprise Summit and other things. It it's really a community effort to learn together and and, and bring ideas together. Oh, oh, the awesome, awesome. Um, so I want to ask. So and again, book reviews are always sort of hard on podcasts because if if the audience hasn't read the book, you know they're kind of vicariously living through the little bits and pieces that we do in thirty minutes. Um, the first thing that jumped out at me was when I read Phoenix Project and, and Unicorn um, Unicorn Project, they were very much told from, uh, you know, at, at the time, what felt like, um, I'll call it sort of bottom up. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was people who had to live with the problem uh, in the organization um, and, and them going, how do we fix this, right? Like, we can't just expect <laughs> the management will fix it. Like, we're going to try and take the reins and try and fix it. Um, and so the, the, the perspective seemed very much aspirational, right? Like you could put yourself in the, you know, in the shoes of, of the, of the hero of the, you know, the protagonist trying to, to solve a problem. This one felt a little bit different in that to a certain extent you were, you and, and Steven are sort of the center of it just as examples, but it felt a little more, um, like less kind of aspirational in a storytelling perspective, but it felt much more prescriptive in terms of being like, okay, here's scenarios, here's situations, here's scenarios, and and here's how you apply these things, right? So it was, you know, it was felt much more, I don't know exactly what the right word is. The, the thing that jumped out at me was when I read the other books, I was at a certain place in my career and I was, I was more kind of day-to-day hands-on with things and, and trying to solve individual. This felt like maybe it was a higher level, you know, like if you're a mid-level manager or a higher level manager and you've got to, you've got to solve what seem like complex problems that are as much organizational as they are cultural. Yeah. Was, was there any, like, was there any thought process to being like, what's the point of view of the book or did the, did the topic just sort of lend itself to being like, we kind of have to tell it from this perspective? You know, uh, that is such an interesting insight. Yeah. And, and so for me, um, you know, I came from a place of incredible frustration <laughs> because in, in some ways an indictment of, uh, you know, some of the top leaders of organizations. In fact, there was a, a story uh, in the book that uh, really resonated with me. I mean, it, just, it was one of those astounding things I've ever heard. <laughs> As a, a friend of mine, he told me, uh, you know, I'm in a large mobile telco. And one of the top initiatives for the year is to get a checkbox in front of our, you know, say 20, 30 million customers uh, so that they can opt into a $5 a month uh, service, you know, so they can get email, watch movies, et cetera. The problem is that it will take, uh, it's estimated to take $28 million uh, because it has to cross 40 different teams. It requires, you know, CEO minus one level support, daily war room meetings (laughs) in a year. And, uh, you know, the astounding thing is that, you know, most people say give it a 20% chance of success because, uh, you know, it didn't work the last two times. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is like, um, so, the, you know, what's so interesting is that, you know, this is not, the difficulty is not in the, uh, this is not like the Apollo space program where there were engineering problems that never had been solved before. Right. This is, uh, you know, this is a, um, a way to characterize this problem is that the entirety of the effort is in coordination is how do you get, you know, 40 different silos to work together, you know, towards a common purpose. Um, and it just, uh, it really spoke to me and, and, you know, uh, uh, 
apparently uh, in the in the book there's 25 case studies uh 20% are technology related probably a third are healthcare related mm-hmm. because um you know there's so many of uh, there's one of the places this is most visible is is in the modern healthcare system in modern hospitals and one of the big revelations for me was that uh you know the health the hospitals were so much easier to manage uh, in the 1950s, I learned this from Steve. So basically, one of the reasons is that there were uh, basically two silos, doctors and nurses. There was no technology. Um, and so you didn't have, uh, um, you know, this whole layer of uh, management for, you know, for, say, MRI machines, CAT scans, radiology, et cetera. Uh, so these days, right, 70 years later, uh, we have scores of functional specialties just in the clinicians. You have nurses, pharmacy, supply chain, <laughs> right? You have technology. Right. You have, uh, uh, you know, radiology is actually being renamed to imaging because not just x-rays, it's, you know, uh, CAT scans, MRI machines, and so forth. So, like, imagine the social, this organizational um, circuitry that has to be in place in a modern hospital system versus the 1950s. And what I learned was that, you know, as you increase the number of functional silos, the sophistication of this organizational circuitry, the social circuitry, you know, has to get far more uh, sophisticated, right, to coordinate all their efforts. And so, you know, uh, you know, you look in technology, right? I guess uh, you don't have to go that far back where you didn't have Devin Ops, you had just, <laughs> you had just, the technology teams right. now it's not just dev and ops it's infosec it's uh uh legal it's uh the you know quote the business uh, then you have now these uh general ai ml folks showing up and uh you know just it helps me understand like why technology is so much more difficult to manage than it was say 20 years ago so it's a, it's a source of marvel and a source of wonder and uh really the book is really uh intended to try to show um, that these problems exist. They span every industry vertical. <laughs> they span every domain. You know, it's, it's engineering, design, uh, uh, operations. Um, you know, air combat. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. there's a there's a common there's a common forces at work. Yeah. No, it definitely it definitely felt like a book that uh, you know I, I felt like if I if I had taken a, a copy of DevOps Handbook or Phoenix Project. I could have given it to other probably technical people and they would have gotten it and they'd, it felt like it applied to them. This one felt like a book that I could probably walk into any MBA program and give to. I could give to sort of, you know, a leader that doesn't necessarily have to deal with technology. It, it felt much, much broader uh, than than just being narrow. But I think, you know, and it, and it sort of overlaps with what you just said, which is like there is no longer just a technology silo, te- technology kind of overlaps every aspect of business and, and sort of vice versa, right? It's a, the thing I always say, like there are no there are no business decisions anymore that don't involve some sort of technology adjacent decision that goes along with it. So the, the two are are sort of intrinsically linked at this point. That's right. And um and just to riff off of that, it doesn't mean that technology goes away. It means that uh, the nature of its integration into all aspects of strategy and operations has to be uh, far more seamless, and it, <laughs> and uh, you know, the job of the technology leader becomes all the more important. Uh, because imagine a world where you know uh, any business unit, any marketing group, any sales group can you know hire whatever technologists they want. And I'm <laughs> not saying that uh, <laughs> any of us do that, but uh, one can imagine uh, you know they they might make poor choices, right? And so. You know, uh, you know, we see, you know, in the when you have these functional specialties, right? They become responsible for, you know, hiring, you know, creating standards, right? Uh, making sure that they have, uh, um, uh, you know, the skills are up to date, <laughs> you know, yeah. that uh, uh, so that they can be deployed, you know, into these different missions across the organization. And I was just reading the uh, uh, 
Steve Yegi's uh, depiction of the Jeff Bezos memo of uh, you know the oh, API right. application of Amazon. And there was something that just le- leaped out at me yesterday. And he said, you know, he was comparing his experience at Google, right? And he was saying, uh, compared to Google, you know, Amazon's hiring practices are terrible, right? You know, uh, every group can hire for themselves. They don't have a, a uniform set of standards, right? So skills, there's a great variance in skills across Amazon. I mean, it was just it was it was so interesting. This is usually where kind of the uh, a functional specialty, uh, you know, this is where they have such great uh, power to create value for the organization because they are the experts, right? right and uh, right. it liberates, you know, the other groups from having to worry about, you know, uh, is this doctor actually competent? You know, are they, um, you know, uh, will they actually help the patient? Uh, will do they expose us to enormous amounts of liability, right? You know, this is uh, not something that you want. This is really great when you sort of centralize that function. Exactly, exactly. Well, and it's the, yeah, it's the classic example of, do I hire for expertise or do I hire for consistency? And, and there's there's trade-off in between them. Um, yeah. At, at the core of the book, uh, and again, you know, it's impossible for us to to summarize, you know, anything that's multiple hundred pages in 30 minutes. Um, but at the core book, there's there's sort of three concepts. There's um, there's slowification, there's amplification, uh, I'm sorry, uh, slowification, simplification, um, and, and amplification, right? So where's the problem? How do we make sense of yeah. how, how we make space for solving the problem, and then how do we solve the problem? Get, walk us through a little bit of those concepts, and maybe give us an example of, of how they apply, or you know how the you know how the concepts fit together. Yeah, for sure. If I can just maybe back up uh, one uh, sure. step, and I think uh, there's really I think two big aha moments uh, for me working on this book with Steve. <clears throat> one, you know, we're saying that. Uh, you know, there's kind of three layers where people work in the organization. So layer one is uh, the, you know, the work, uh, the object in front of us. So that could be the patient. It could be uh, the code uh, that we're working on. It could be the binary artifact that's running in production. Uh, uh, the layer two is the technologies and tools uh, that we use to do our work. So it could be the IDE. It could be, you know, the uh, OpenShift platform. Um, it could be the MRI machine. And then layer three uh, is how is the social circuitry, the organizational wiring of how we assemble, you know, the components of our greater system. And, you know, in the ideal, uh, the leader is entirely responsible for creating that layer of social circuitry. So when an organization is stuck, <laughs> like in that telco example I gave you, where, you know, even small things require superheroic efforts, that is a failure of uh, the design of layer three. And so I love this Winston Churchill quote, you know, we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. You know, so too, when we are in organizations, right, uh, you know, we shape its uh, organizational wiring forever after it shapes us. And so when we are in situations where, you know, the system is not allowing everyone to do their best work that fully liberate people's creativity and problem solving capabilities, right, that, uh, you know, that is a failure of layer three. And so uh, when you're asking what feels different about uh, the book, one of them is that, uh it's really meant to be an indictment to say, all right, if you are in an organization where you are stuck uh, or where you are forced to do work in um, when work is not possible to do easily and well, right, that is uh, the responsibility of leaders. And the second thing that I just found kind of a, a revelatory is that, you know, is that really the job of leaders? And, and the argument goes uh, like this, is that, you know, in any you don't have to have a very large project where the job of the leader is not to direct contribution <laughs> in terms of uh, you know labor thinking problem solving right and so if if that's not where the contribution is then it has to be absolutely has to be about enabling others to do their work easily and well 
So, you know, what a revelation. So it just sort of isolates, you know, what, what is the job of leadership, <laughs> right? And so Dr. Ron Westrom said, you know, uh, you know, there's kind of five great characteristics of the socio-technical maestro, high energy, high standards, great in the large, great in the small, but they love walking the floor. And, you know, that just spoke to me. And, and, uh, and I think uh, it also so motivates, you know, the, uh, this notion that, you know, leaders, uh, we can create processes and organizations where, uh, you know, people are able to do what they need. Uh, they can get what they need and they get it when they need it <laughs> in the right format at the right time. And they can get it ideally at self-service on demand. Right. And, you know, the opposite of that is no one has what they need when they need it. And when they do, it's in the wrong format at the wrong time. And they have to talk to everybody to get it. <laughs> so that's not so good. So we say that's really kind of, uh, you know, three mechanisms to go from what we're calling kind of this danger zone to the kind of winning zone. Danger zone is, uh, you know, problems are tough to solve because we're solving them in highly consequential uh, uh, environments like during production <laughs> where uh, small mistakes can have enormous consequences. So you can't undo and which, and we can't undo you means you can't learn. Um, and, you know, so we have to reshape this, social circuitry so that, you know, uh, those problems are not being solved in production, but we're doing them in planning and practice. And we have to simplify them so that, you know, we are partitioning problems so that they're smaller. And uh, when we are solving smaller problems, small problems stay small. They don't ripple out and, uh, you know, uh, cascade out through this highly coupled system. Right. We have to sort of amplify these weak signals of failure um, so that even the weakest signals of failure or, or um, requests for help are amplified uh, so that we can decisively act upon them to correct, detect and correct, as well as prevent them from happening. And so really the three, as you were saying, the three mechanisms are slow vacation. So move the th most difficult problems from production into planning and practice. Simplification is like modularization or linearization where we're uh, making the problems smaller. Uh, like Amazon did with microservices or the uh, assembly line or Toyota production system did for sequential processes. And then amplification is, all right, how do you create a uh, the circuitry so that, you know, uh, signals are amplified um, versus suppressed or extinguished entirely? Uh, how am I doing here so far, Brian? No, it's good. It's good. And it's, it's you know, I'll, I'll say this much from, from just me having read through the book. Uh, you know, the thing that jumped out to me and, and again, like I, I struggle sometimes the first couple of times when I read uh, or I learn things that are that are you know kind of have a framework to them. Like okay, I got to match that word to this task, this whatever. But the the one thing that did jump out at me was as I was reading it and and some of the examples you used and it, it's nice because they start fairly straightforward and simple and you know there's a whole series of examples of you guys like uh, working on like improving a building or a, or a hotel, or a <laughs> moving a couch, yeah, moving right. a couch and. and <laughs> But what jumped out at me was as I was reading it and I was thinking about, you know, not the not the example that was used, but going, OK, in my own day to day work in, in the company that I work in and my day job and all that sort of stuff, like how many times do I run into a situation in which the, the thing that we're trying to do by itself doesn't seem that complicated, but but the task of actually doing it the way that we do it ends up being really complicated, meaning like it always involves three or four teams. And there's like, there's like 10 meetings that seem like they could just be solved with one meeting. And, and it really, it really dawned on me that there is, there is an art, uh, to, you know, there is an art and a science to, you know, how you design or how you, you know, frame a problem and then how you frame kind of the teams that go work on that, you know, like, you know, do you, do you need a, do you need a meeting there? Do you need another, 
group involvement there, or could you put those two things together, right? So my guess is sometimes it's simplify and make them small. And sometimes it's like, don't, don't create two or three when it could be done as one or, you know, so that, wow. that, that part jumped out at me as like, I'm going to use this immediately. Like it didn't feel like theory, <laughs> which was really nice, which was really useful. Can I do a bit of performance art around the couch sure. metaphor and, and uh, maybe describe why, um, you know, your, your comment means so much to me. So the, of all the examples and case studies, the one I'm most proud of is the couch metaphor. And uh, so, yeah, here's how the story goes. So imagine you have two people trying to move a couch and let's call them Steve and Gene. And so you might dismiss moving a couch as all brawn work, no brain work allowed. And yet there are actually some important problems they need to solve. You know, they have to find out where's the center of gravity, you know, to get through a narrow doorway around which axis do you rotate, you know, to get through a narrow winding set of stairs, right? Who goes first? Do they go forwards or backwards? And they don't need consultants. They don't need focus groups. By picking up the couch, getting fast feedback, experimenting, communicating, coordinating, right, that we can uh, get some assurance. You know, we, we're pretty sure that they'll be able to solve uh, the problem. But uh, as leaders, there are all these things that uh, we can do to actually make their jobs much more difficult and maybe even impossible. So the first thing we can do is turn off all the lights, right? So the job becomes more dangerous. It will take longer. <laughs> they can damage the couch or maybe worse themselves. But uh, we can also do something like, you know, introduce a lot of background noise, like a loud siren or music. And so this is actually a different dimension of uh, difficulty introduced because it prevents Steve and Gene from communicating and coordinating. And so uh, as leaders, we can also introduce an intermediary that prevents Steve and Gene from talking to each other directly. So instead they have to go through like Jira work tickets or work orders, <laughs> have account managers involved, uh, you know, uh, maybe lawyers. And so under those conditions, like we, I can imagine that Steve and Gene will not <laughs> successfully move the couch because they're no longer able to work uh, on the problem together. So the, um, this is really a metaphor for joint cognition, joint problem solving. And so the Devon Ops story uh, is really exactly that, right? They had two independent silos that were imp uh, that found it impossible to solve the problem together. Um, and so I just, I find this metaphor to be, has such explanatory power. Yep. So the whole API-ification of Amazon in the early 2000s, that was essentially 3,500 software engineers all coupled to one couch. And just like that telco example, right, none of them had independence of action. So every small thing required to, you know, communicate and coordinating, escalating up eight levels of uh, management, you know, uh, because the uh, the digital teams, you know, uh, their customers still required to put a physical shipping address on, on each order, right? Which is a, and, and uh, you know, they didn't budget for, for that. They had to work with 60 different ordering teams, right? And so They've created, you know, tens, hundreds, and later thousands of microservices, you know, so that uh, they could enable independence of action. And what I find so marvelous is that, you know, last year there was this kind of famous blog post where uh, Amazon Prime Video described how they went from microservices back to a monolith. And it was as if they chopped up the couch into too many small pieces because their work was dominated by coordination and transport, you know, just copying these, you know, video files in and out of storage buckets all the time. And so they, you know, the, they glued the couch back together again, right? Re-establishing, you know, uh, coupling and more important coherence. Uh, so, uh, I just I think almost every problem can be uh, boiled down to you know to what you talked about. Is it is it uh, have we divided up the couch incorrectly, <laughs> right? And is there a better way to configure it? Sometimes you want couches, right? Um, when we want tight coupling between people, and sometimes we want chairs where you want independence of action, right? right. Uh, and if you get if you make the wrong decision, right, uh, these are very predictable ways of uh, how it manifests itself into um, 
you know, problems in layer three. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that jumped out at me was, um, and again, this is uh, you know different, different opinion or, you know, different viewpoint is I think when, when I was reading some of the DevOps things early on, it was, this is, you know, kind of, this is the way to do it. It was like, we're going to, we're going to explain to you an, a new way of doing things. And, and it was framed in the, in the perspective of like, this is the way of doing it. And I think to me, the difference that, that to me felt really important was, I think we've all learned over time, you know, having experimented or failed or been successful or whatever, like in some cases, you know, microservices and breaking things down into small parts makes sense. In other cases, uh, you know, the the expectation may not have met the reality for various reasons, skill sets, you know, problem sets, you know, whatever it might have been. And and what I really liked about the book was because at least in the early part of the book, the, the examples were were things that were simple enough that you didn't you weren't like, okay, this is overwhelming to think about. But they were explained, <laughs> but they were explained in such a way that, like you said, we're just gonna use this couch metaphor, but we're gonna talk about kind of the different things that could you know, make it successful and then the things that could make it unsuccessful. And it allowed you to go, okay, how would this relate to me? Like, how would I, you know, where is a couch in my day-to-day job? Okay. Now am I, am I turning the lights on? Am I, do I have too much noise? Am I, did I put marbles on the floor accidentally for these people? Like all these, all these sort of things. Like, did I not realize that the door isn't the same size as what I expect? You know what, all this sort of stuff. Um, and that was, that to me was, was really, really powerful. So, um, You've like I like I mentioned at the beginning. You you know you inspired a, a whole generation of of IT professionals and IT uh, leaders with some of the early books. Have you gotten any feedback yet? I mean, the books uh, it's only kind of been out in, in the marketplace for three or four months now, maybe less than that. Any initial feedback that's uh, you know beyond just sort of you know gratitude stuff that maybe you didn't expect or just sort of insight that uh, you, you've been surprised by so far? Yeah, one of the things that uh, I'm I'm so gratified by is um, just the feedback, um, the positive feedback coming not just from technologists but other domains, uh, like um, uh, uh, whether it's from military services, uh, from uh, people doing drug design, and I I think that was definitely one of the design objectives of the book. and, you know, for any authors out there, right. And, you know, for people designing products, I think that is really kind of one of the most, one of the most important decisions you make in any writing project and any sort of product design effort is like, who is your audience? Yep. And, you know, for the, one of the things that we, uh, was evident, right. Given, given the collaboration between, uh, Dr. Steven Spear and myself who come from, you know, different, uh, uh, domains and industries is, you know, the, there's not a book for manufacturing or, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceutical leaders. It's not a book f- just for software leaders, right? It, it's, you know, for their bosses. <laughs> and one of the things that uh, you know, I was so uh, pleased and proud of and, and grateful for, um, and grateful for so many things, uh, but uh, also grateful for the Ford that was written by uh, Admiral John Richardson. So uh, he was uh, formerly the chief of naval operations for the U.S. Navy. So he's Comprehensively responsible for you know six hundred thousand uh, sailors and civilians of so that you know incredible enterprise. Uh, he's on the board of Boeing, uh, Exelon, and many others. And uh, he's just, the Ford was just fantastic because it was just described in his own journey as a leader, you know how it uh, resonated with him. And uh, and so as a leader of leaders, you know I, I think we were really uh, hoping that the book would resonate with the people that uh, he interacts with. And so uh, you know I think. Um, 
one of my fondest aspirations for the book is that it helps create a, a, a common context for the technology leader and their business counterparts. <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, technology problems get over delegated to the technology leader when it's, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it would be a drastic oversimplification to think that, you know, uh, you know, all technology problems can be solved just by the technology teams alone, right? These are business problems. Um, you know, how uh, the business counterparts organize technology, where it fits in, right? Those, those have drastic implications of, you know, the organizational wiring of, and it uh, affects, you know, to what extent can technology help achieve the business goals that it's entrusted with? So, you know, to get that sort of feedback uh, from, you know, hey, this is helping me advance my goals in other parts of the organization. It's just been so gratifying to me. And I'm, I'm just uh, so delighted by the fact that there's also re- those sort of concepts, same concepts are resonating with you as well. Yeah, no, it's it's good stuff. It's uh, it was it was, you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes, you you know, you've, you've been around for a little bit. You read you read some books. You maybe sometimes get a little uh you know, like, okay, I think I feel like I've read this one before. This one, this one lit up some, some parts of my brain that, uh, that hadn't been lit up in a while. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I appreciate that. I, uh, Can I mention one thing? So vignette number one was Stephen Jean moving a couch and vignette number two was Stephen Jean, uh, helping renovate an old hotel. And essentially it was, uh, uh, in order to do that, you had to have three sequential interdependent steps, take all the furniture out, paint the room and bring the furniture back in. And uh, now we have two functional silos, movers and painters. <laughs> and so it really is a depiction of, you know, uh, given this, you know, somewhat simple problem, uh, you know, given, say, you know, 25, 50 rooms, right? If you organize the silos in one way, <laughs> right, and integrate them through scheduling, you know, you can thoroughly screw up the system, right? And if, however, if you, you know, organize them into room teams that can work independently of each other, you can get far better outcomes and enable independence of action, not just between the room teams, but between the movers and painters within each room, and uh, I just love that because it shows, you know, if you can screw up such a simple system, imagine how uh, badly you can screw up a, sim- uh, a system that, you know, has more functional silos, that operates faster with higher consequentiality, with, <laughs> you know, faster tempo of operations. And those two examples, um, you know, I think allow us to define these terms. That's like in, um, like in physics, you know, you can... Uh, you know, uh, the three laws of motion or, you know, uh, being able to model, um, you know, momentum and so forth through a pendulum. You know, you don't need many more concepts to explain, you know, uh, sending a probe, you know, to through interstellar space. And it's our assertion and our belief that, you know, just given uh, those two vignettes and some concepts, you can actually explain the behavior of far more complex organizations. And so I just I just find that so satisfying that uh, you know here's a parsimonious theory uh, that can explain uh, I love that you know the goal of science explain the most with the least <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's awesome stuff I, I I'm sitting here thinking about it I, I've been you know as I I have uh, you know teenage kids and the way that they're learning these days you know tends to let be less you know deep in textbooks and they're learning via TikTok and and YouTube and all these <laughs> other sort of things that are short and and I and I'm kind of thinking about it and I'm like boy if you could you could get paired up with a good animator you could take a lot of those early vignettes in the book uh, turn them into like tiktok types of learnings in five minutes you probably <laughs> you probably build a whole new set of followers that uh you know, kind of the next generation of uh 
you know, Phoenix Project followers that you had before. So, uh, but yeah, anyways, Gene, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. I know you are super busy with uh, with a lot of commitments to this. Uh, thank you, as always, for the time. It's it's great to catch up. Like like we mentioned, you and I need to do this more often, and maybe we'll record it, and maybe we won't. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I love, I, I always love having a chance to talk to you because you bring, you know, not only so much knowledge, but just so much passion about what you're working on. And I know these books are hard and they take a long time, but uh, the passion you bring to them is is uh, is really really appreciated. So thank you for that. Um, if folks want to want to dive into this, what are what are the best ways that you guys are are working on not only you know book distribution but all the the things that that surround it? Yeah, uh, I think the best ways to reach me are probably uh, LinkedIn um, and uh, Twitter. Um, so I'm at uh, Real Gene Kim on Twitter slash X, and uh, uh, just find me on LinkedIn as uh, under Gene Kim. Okay. Well, very good, and we'll put we'll put all the links to uh, to all the things that you guys work on with IT Revolution and uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit, and obviously the the new book and everything. So, uh, congratulations, Super. congratulations again on, on getting it out. I know it is uh, I know it is a uh, a, a journey and a lot of work. So, so <laughs> Sounds good. And, and by the way, congratulations to you on all your successes. And uh, by the way, I uh, loved your episode with uh, Mark Hinkle. It's like, what a great time to be a technologist. Uh, it's just uh, uh, so much fun uh, to be had in this space right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, with that, uh, on behalf of Aaron and I, we want to thank Gene again for his time. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for uh, you know, just helping us grow the podcast and, uh, you know, taking your feedback about uh, what you'd like to hear. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 